Blog Talk Radio. The B I B I V that's the book for me. The B I B I V that's the book for me. season now, so uh, yeah, good good time to be here. <laughs> yeah, getting close to Christmas. Yep. Uh, so how have you been? Um, I've been okay. Um, I, I guess one of the things that's uh, more, you know, uh, uh, I don't know if it's really big happening in my life, but 
it's uh, uh, my job. I uh, got laid off. Um, that's been known though for for a while. So I think I told you, and I think maybe even the yeah, uh, mentioned on the program here that I was being laid off. So, but yeah, the the building finally closed down. So they're uh, right now in the process of like moving everything out of the building. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm I'm uh, I'm interested in seeing what uh, what God has in store for me next, and uh, I'm gonna find out. I'm ho- hoping uh, soon, but it's gonna be on His timing. So, <laughs> yeah. But uh, other than that, um, not a whole lot, uh, a whole lot going on. Um, I suppose, I mean, I, I could bring up something else that happened uh, not too horribly long ago. Um, I was having a okay, long conversation, <laughs> kind of an odd an odd conversation with um, with an atheist. Not about atheism. It was, uh, it was <laughs> actually about, um, uh, and, and, you know, I'll keep names out of this because they're not around here to speak for themselves and also try and be as balanced as possible. But um, yeah. they took issue uh, the atheists took issue with the way that uh, uh, me and a group of people um, uh, the, running the Bible Clubbing Wing that after show um, yeah. uh, were, uh, well, actually, I guess technically it was also before that. It was the, sh- the main show and then afterward, um, the way we were uh, talking about uh, people who are transgendered um, or who people who call themselves transgendered, uh, whichever you'd like mm-hmm. to refer to them as. Um, and I, I, in essence, I almost became like an effigy to to this atheist um, because he would throw things out that I had not said. Um, he would say that I was trying to say something that I wasn't. Um, it, it just it, it kind of uh, degraded into him telling me what my intentions were, uh, and then me huh. just so it. Uh, it was interesting. I don't want to like you know go for a long time on this, but. Needless to say, uh, what 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 I was trying to express to the atheist was that uh, the way that I use uh, personal pronouns is to refer to someone's biological sex. Um, though I might use uh, socially accepted gender cues, you know, whether someone uh, dresses like a guy, uh, you know, his facial features are masculine, um, uh, you know, has short hair or whatnot. Whatever the case may be, I'll use those in order to help um, cue me in as to what pronoun I should be using for the person. Um, and again, that's not how everybody, I guess, uses pronouns, but that's how I use that because I use that in an effort to try and remain consistent in how I use pronouns. Because when I was when I was taught all through school, that's how you use pronouns. You refer to someone in their respective category that they fall into biologically speaking, um, but Again, it, it, and another thing was um, that I had brought up a statistic. This would be the last thing I promise. <laughs> um, but, but I brought up a statistic that um, uh, 41%, there was a study that was done that said that 41% of people who consider themselves to be transgendered uh, will either commit suicide or attempt suicide. Um, I brought up that uh, you know, the only comparable rates would be like uh, Jews in concentration camps uh, of uh, you know uh, Nazi Germany. Um, and uh, they took issue with that as well, uh, the atheists did. And um, uh, the only reason why I was bringing that up was to go, okay, uh, and in fact, I even specifically mentioned this, but later on the atheists had somehow forgotten about this, but um, they, uh, they were, I, I said that there are some people who say that uh, the transgendered individuals, um, the reason why their suicide rate is so high is because of 
and, and oftentimes they will mention Christians um, uh, are not accepting of them. Um, you know, they, they're, they're persecuting them. They feel persecuted. Therefore, their suicide rate is so high. Um, so I brought up that, you know, comparable statistic of um, Jews in Nazi Germany having a very high you know, suicide rate in comparison to the, you know, average person um, because they were in a very socially oppressive and uh, very, very persecuted situation. I mean, they were referred to as not being human. Uh, transgender people are still referred to as being human. So, I mean, there, there's, there's a leg up there, but I, essentially I was bringing that up as a way of going, okay, well, it can't only be social pressure. There has to be something else. And then I put forth, uh, put forth my idea that it could possibly be that they are mentally ill, that they're delusional. Um, because if you look at people with mental illness, their suicide rates are also, you know, somewhat higher. It, and again, it, uh, that, was, that was the gist of it. I mean, we, we kind of trailed off in other, um, other conversations. I even said, you know, I don't, I don't, they called me transphobic, I believe. And I said, I'm not, I'm, not only am I not afraid of trans, uh, trans people, um, but I also love them according to what scripture says. You know, um, I, I'm not going to sit down and, you know, uh, or, you know what, anyone from, you know, uh, the, the community that has now deemed itself LGBTQ plus, I guess, because there's a bunch of extra stuff on there as well now. But, um, I, I, I don't hate any of them, and I don't fear any of them. So it's very hard for me to understand why someone would call me you know, transphobic or homicidal. I think that they use those terms, unfortunately, in today's society to win arguments. Um, it's it's a, an accepted ad hominem um, from, uh, in, in some people's opinions. Um, but either way, um, again, I think that uh, um, as Christians, we should – I mean, we're, we're told to – love our neighbors, and love our enemies, since the uh, transgender people and uh, uh, homosexual people are not my enemies. Uh, well, there might be some of them that might actually fit into that category if they're uh, outright attacking Christianity, um, but even them, I wouldn't say, are irredeemable because of what the Bible has to say about people in general. But either way, I suppose I've kind of hijacked the show for long enough, and I think I've ended on a pretty good note there. <laughs> That's okay. But, uh, but how, how have you been? <laughs> yeah, I've been good. Uh, just going to church, uh, watch TV, <laughs> internet, <laughs> just usual. Well, yeah, the Bible going something to church and, and... Yeah, it's okay. good. I was going to say, the yeah. Bible something we met, that one comes on Sundays um, on YouTube. Yeah, and around... an hour after we typically end. <laughs> Yeah, about like five Pacific, eight Easter, somewhere around there. Mhm. Yep, seven o'clock. Uh, what were you going to say before? I think I stopped your thought. Oh no, no, I was I was just saying that um, uh, you know, I uh, mentioned it's like yeah, going to church, you know, <laughs> that's always a good thing. Um, and yeah, uh, I think that uh, um. I was going to say that I think that the internet um, is most definitely a double-edged sword, but there's some really neat stuff you can find on the internet. Um, in particular, if you're doing studies into, you know, uh, the Bible, uh, wanting to find uh, videos on what proper biblical hermeneutics are, you know. So. <laughs> I was um, I was listening to um, uh, Matt Siddick live. Like I listened to like about like I think three episodes. It's like about our show. Oh cool. And 
Yeah. Um, it was really cool because, like, um, cause it was a good reminder. He was saying, he was saying how um, uh, it's, uh, you know, grace alone, faith alone. Like, you, it's like not what you do plus Jesus, and, and you can't be depending on mm-hmm. um, like what what you do and God. You gotta depend mm-hmm. on that. It's, it's all God, and it's good because like because I was like because I was like worried about like um, like I'm not doing enough or whatever or to be a Christian or something. Mm-hmm. So remind me um, that it's it's what Jesus did, not you know what I do. Is so that was like making me uh, f- like feel better. Be like yeah, like I don't have to strive for it. Like I mean, sure, there's like sanctification, but it's like God, even God does does that too. Like it's not like our own thing. Amen. Now that, that's great to hear. Um, I think that uh, I think that unfortunately, uh, our default, um, you, you know, as as fallen people, can be, uh, you know, selfishness. Um, can be okay. Well, what can I do? And it's and it's a very strange kind of of selfishness, of of like you know, pride almost. Going, well, what can I do? Am I not doing enough? You know, it's, it's it's thinking about yeah. oneself. It's very man centric. But but the thing is, and and Melissa, I want to mention this. Like I I struggle with that myself. Um, I think that everyone yeah. struggles with that, and that's one of the reasons why I think that it really is a default. Like it, it's something that we go to um, as fallen people, as as sinful uh, creatures, um, because like if you look at every single other religion other than Christianity, yeah, all of them are works-based. All of them are what can you do as the individual to bring yourself to a place where you are a good person. It's Christianity that says, no, 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 you are not a good person. There is nothing you can do to become a good person. It's all on God to choose you, all on God to elect you, all on God to draw draw you to him, uh, all on him to, to, you know, like you're saying is what Jesus did, his saving work on the cross, you know, that's, that's what saves us. And then once we're saved, that's it. You know, I mean, we, we don't need to do anything else other than that. But the thing is, because regeneration happens when we become saved, it's just going to naturally flow from us to do good works. That's one of the reasons why I think people can get uh, messed up or, or, or misunderstand what the Bible has to say because it's mentioning, for instance, uh, when Paul talks about uh, faith without works is dead, um, it's basically talking about uh, false faith as opposed to uh, actual faith, you know, uh, uh, dead faith as opposed to uh, life, you know, uh, faith that comes from a living person. Um, if someone claims that they have faith, it, it's us looking at the person and not God looking at them because God can look at the heart of the individual. God knows whose heart he's uh, replaced with a heart of flesh, you know, taking out their heart of stone and putting it, put a, a heart of flesh in, in for them. He knows that. I mean, God's not forgetful, you know. He's, he's, he's all-knowing, so why would he forget who, he, who's he, who he's given, uh, given a heart of flesh to? So, but the verses that, that Paul was talking about um, are talking about us looking at other individuals who claim faith. They say, okay, well, I have faith, but they have no outward appearance, nothing, no, no fruit um, uh, that, that shows that they have 
a true faith, have a, well, I don't know if I want to use true faith, but have, have a faith that is alive rather than a dead faith, just a claim of faith, uh, just one that they are uh, doing for selfish reasons, again, uh, as that default uh, setting, I guess, for human beings. Um, because I think that, uh, and I'll use this as an example, uh, my father, um, when he was married to my mom, uh, when they became married, uh, for all intents and purposes on the outside, looked like he was saved. This is kind of a, 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 another way of looking at this, not just someone who says that they have faith and then don't have, uh, don't have any works. Um, he looked like he was saved um, because he would uh, do all of these things, you know, like uh, he, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, knows Greek and Hebrew. He would, like, have the Greek and Hebrew next to this. He'd be making notes and stuff like that. But the reasons why he was doing those things were selfish. Um, from, from what I can understand and from what my, my mother has told me of him um, uh, from the past, he was doing those things to impress the other Christian people, uh, the other people of his church, um, and not, uh, it wasn't something that was just naturally flowing out of someone who was regenerate. Um, now, since I can't see his heart, I don't know if that is the case, but the way that his life is right now, that seems to be the case. Um, but, uh, but again, um, it's, to get back to Paul again, um, if someone makes a claim of faith but then just has no works whatsoever, that's a way of you being able to go, hold on a second, let me, you know, I don't necessarily think that that's actually, it, it's a way of telling, it's a litmus test, essentially, of being able to go, well, that person, they say that they're a Christian, but then they go out and they, uh, they steal from this, they, they lie about that, you know, they're, they don't. They don't give to you know to the church. You know nothing. You know it's like so that that's kind of suspicious. <laughs> but but yeah. Sorry again. I'm kind of hijacking things. But yes. I think that that's a very important. I think it's a very important thing that you brought up. Yeah, that's that, what um, was um, was too. He was saying like when you're mm-hmm. Christian, basically there there's a change in you. There's you come different, mm-hmm. and um, yes. and that's one thing that like. That was different because, like, I remember, like, before I was like, I was trying to be self righteous and and um, basically do things to earn heaven. I think in a way, even though like mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't think it like that, but yeah, that's one thing. And also, um, mm-hmm. yeah, there's just uh, I don't know. There's things that that that, like, I'm different now, like, I think, um, mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain it, like, I can't, like, well, think of everything I, that I'm different, but I just know I'm different. Yes, well, and, and the thing is, I mean, um, uh, one of one of the things well, that I think I is, went is on really to, to the truth. Hmm? It's like mm-hmm. the light went on to yep, the truth. Was, no. Yep. Yeah, and, and okay, what I'd go. say also is that, um, Huh? Oh yeah, I was gonna say that. Um, another thing that's really interesting about, um, you know, when 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 scoffers come along and say, "Oh, well, give me the, give me evidence," you know, uh, put it put hardcore evidence right in front of me that God exists, that that what you believe in is true. Um, that right there, what you said, I would say that is evidence. The fact that we change in such a fundamental level when we become Christian, that. You know, that, that there are things within us that now, I mean, we did before that we don't do now, or that we do now that we were incapable of doing before. It's, and, and what I'd say is, um, I think that, 
I've, I've heard some people say this, um, and I don't know if I'd be able to say, because, I, again, I don't read, um, I don't read Greek. Um, uh, and I, I wouldn't be able to, I mean, if you put Greek in front of me, it would be Greek to me. But, um, but uh, uh, the verse that says that, uh, I believe, uh, Hebrews 11, 1, where it's saying that uh, faith is the evidence. So the fact that we have faith, and not, not in the, like, uh, derogatory term, uh, way that a lot of scoffers will say that faith is. You know, faith is belief in an absence of evidence or whatnot. That's not the case. Um, the fact that I have... Yeah, exactly, exactly. That, that, that's what the faith is. It's not a, well, I, I believe that God exists because, uh, well, I don't have any evidence, but I just do it anyway. That's not the case. I know that God exists. I have faith in him that he will do the things that he has said he will do. That's where the faith comes in. But, but the fact that I have that faith and the fact, the fact that that is unshakable, that is evidence. I, well, and again, I, I suppose that won't necessarily be something that someone else would accept as evidence. But again, I think that uh, running with this you know, theme that we've had at the beginning of the show here, I think that uh, you know, when that regeneration happens and it just becomes so easy for you to have faith. And again, I'm not saying that it will always be easy to have faith in God because there are times where I'm like, God, I don't know if I, I don't know, I don't know if I, I feel, I feel anxious, Lord. You know, I don't know, don't know where we're going with this. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm forcing myself, Lord, I'm forcing myself to have faith in you in this situation, you know, because I know, I know that you've got something good going on, though I can't see it right now. It's, it's that type of stuff, you know. I mean, I'm not saying that it's going to be easy to have faith in all situations. Um, but the fact that we do have this this faith that just comes naturally um, in, in many situations, like I said, not all. Um, in some ways, you'll have to work on it, like I do. <laughs> but um, but but the fact that we have those things is an evidence of our regeneration. So, but yeah, either way, again, kind of going off. I feel like I'm going off on you know rabbit trails and whatnot, but I still think these are important things to. Um, to note and to have all yeah. Christians have uh, a good understanding of. Yeah. Let me see. I guess I'll go on to the, uh, I got the teaching ready. Um, uh, I got John MacArthur. It's called The Hope That Overcomes the World. Uh, sounds good to me. <laughs> Yep. And um, here we go. Uh, anything you want to say before we go? Nope, nope. I'm ready for the uh, I'm ready for this, uh, for the message. Okay, here we go. Uh, John Carter, the hope that overcomes the world on Truth Be Told Radio. The following sermon is by John MacArthur, pastor, author, and the Bible teacher with Grace to You. If you've never contacted Grace to You, we want to send you a free booklet by John called Found God's Peace. It's all about helping you defeat anxiety and know true and lasting contentment. Request your free booklet by writing to peace at gty.org. That's P-E-A-C-E at gty.org. Offer good in North America and Europe through June of 2017. And now, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time, here's grace to you Bible teacher John MacArthur. I want you to open your Bible now this morning to John's Gospel. We have been for months and months 
in a very, very important section of the Bible, a very important section of this gospel, chapters 13 through 16. We now come to the final portion of that section, John 16, 25 through 33. And we're going to be looking at verses 25 to 33, and I will confess to you that this could be stretched out for weeks, but I, uh, I'm going to condense it so that we can move on to chapter 17. Before we look at the text itself, starting in verse 25, just a, a kind of a setup, if I might, for just a few minutes. The world in which we live obviously is bleak and filled with fearful people who are struggling to make some sense out of life. Their fears are personal, private, individual, but they're also collective. It's not enough that we have the trouble of our own, but thanks to the media, we have everybody else's troubles also to carry. There is a massive accumulated deposit of saturated issues that every person has to face. At the same time, we find ourselves struggling to face them because we are so bad at relationships, so we lack real support. Trying to secure a meaningful, lasting relationship in marriage seems well-nigh impossible. Families are full of chaos and disintegration. Add to this decades and decades of propagating self-esteem and pride, and what you have is people who are consumed with their own desires and their own wants who then double down on the impossibility of making meaningful relationships because they're so self-centered. The more materialistic the culture is, the more this becomes a reality. The more things we possess, the more things occupy us, the less significant our relationships become. If you live in an isolated part of the world where you have nothing but family, family takes on a completely greater significance. There is a kind of pervasive angst in our culture, even in the midst of all this material prosperity and all of this supposed freedom. We are engulfed in fears and anxieties and doubts and questions, and there is a kind of cosmic dread that looms in the lives of people in this part of the world and this time in history. People are searching for things that give them meaning, desperately searching, while consumed with selfishness and self-consumption, they find themselves unable to be satisfied, to be at peace, and to have any lasting joy. Now, let me simplify it. Deep in the heart of all people is a need for three realities. This is the irreducible minimum, three realities. At the same time, it is the requisite maximum. There are three things people need. They need love, they need to be loved. They need to be loved unconditionally. They need to be loved lavishly. They need to be loved generously. And they need to be loved by someone who knows all their faults and still loves them that way. Secondly, they need someone to trust, someone to believe in, someone who's consumed with their well-being, someone into whose hands they can place their lives, who is powerful enough and generous enough and has the resources to secure them in the midst of an insecure world. They need someone to love them 
and someone to care for them, who has the power to rescue them from all their troubles. Thirdly, people need hope. They need to know there's a future. They need to be able to see the light at the end of the ever-darkening tunnel, to know that someone has a plan and someone has a purpose, and somewhere in the future, something good is going to happen, and it's going to be far greater than any of the bad experiences that occupy our lives. Love, faith, and hope. Someone to love you, someone you can trust to care for you, to rescue you, to deliver you, to lift you above your problems, and someone to give you a future. Love, faith, and hope. Sound familiar? That's the Christian triad. That's what is offered to every person in the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 13 says there are these three, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Often the Apostle Paul refers to that triad a couple of times in 1 Thessalonians, again in Colossians and elsewhere. Those three divine provisions that come to us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are essentially what we need to live life with peace and joy. Peace is the sort of negative side. It's the tranquility. It's the absence of angst. It's the absence of anxiety. It's the tranquility in the midst of the trouble. Joy is the positive side. It's the exuberance in spite of it. Peace and joy come from these three realities. Now, as we come to this text, our Lord is going to say the last few words to His eleven disciples. The words that He gave them on that Thursday night of Passion Week, the night before His crucifixion, started in chapter 13, and they've run all the way now to the end of chapter 16. Very long, long, drawn-out discourse by our Lord. He's made them all kinds of promises, given them all kinds of warnings. It all sort of culminates in their mind, in the reality that he keeps talking about dying and leaving. And they are full of concern and full of anxiety. While he has been with them, they've had someone to love them. While he's been with them, they had someone to believe in who has delivered them from every issue and provided everything they need. While he has been with them, he has filled their lives with hope. But now he's leaving. He's dying and he's leaving. In addition to that, he has told them, you're going to be persecuted the same way I'm being persecuted. You're going to be hated, resented, rejected. And this is going to go on through all of human history to all the followers of Christ. People are going to arrest you. He says in Luke 21, they're, they're, going, to, they're going to turn against you, brother against brother, family against family members. The society is going to turn against you. Ultimately, they're going to throw you out of the synagogue, he says earlier in chapter 16 here, and, and they're even going to kill you and think they do God's service when they kill you. It's not going to go well for you. Why are they going to hate you? Because they hate me. Why are they going to hate you? Because you're not part of the world system and they resent those who aren't. Why are they going to hate you? Because they don't know God and they're the subjects of Satan. This is a bleak kind of moment for the disciples. Jesus is dying, He is leaving, and it's going to get far worse for us. So as He closes out this evening, by now it's in the 
early hours of Friday morning, past midnight, the day of His crucifixion. They're headed for the Garden of Gethsemane, a final prayer of Jesus in chapter 17. Then comes the arrest, the trial in the darkness of night, and then His execution in the morning on the cross. It's all coming to an end. And they are profoundly troubled. Several times in this text, John notes that their hearts were deeply troubled. So as our Lord closes in verses 25 to 33, He offers them comfort. And the comfort He offers them is built around these three realities. You have one who loves you. You have one who can be trusted with your life in time and eternity. And you have one who has planned a hope for you. Faith, hope, and love then dominate this final section. You wouldn't necessarily see that until you dig down a little bit into the text. So let's begin by reading it, starting in verse 25. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. For the Father Himself loves you, because you have loved Me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, You do believe now. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. How do you have peace in the face of all of this? How do you have peace in the face of Jesus dying, leaving? How do you have peace in the face of persecution and even execution, martyrdom? Let's start at the end. Go to verse 33. The last statement. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. We'll stop right there. Take courage. In the world, you have tribulation. What does world mean? Well, we've already looked at that. World doesn't mean the physical planet. It means the system of evil that dominates the creation and dominates humanity. It is the satanically operated, demonically infested, sinner-exercised world of evil. It is the complex of evil that dominates human life and has not only dominated human life but cursed the entire universe. So you just need to be reminded that's where you live. You live in a system of evil. Evil dominates the world. The world is ruled by Satan. He's the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, which is just another term for sinners. It's a satanically operating, demon-infested world of sinners who practice the wretchedness that the fall 
has produced. You're in that world. And in the world, you have tribulation. The word is philipsis. It means essentially pressure, affliction, distress. You're literally going to be crushed. You're going to be pressured. You're going to be in a pressure cooker. You're going to be in distress. You're going to be under duress. This is clear from earlier words, chapter 15, chapter 16. The world hates you. It is hostile toward you. The Apostle Paul acknowledged this later to Christian believers in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. He says, No one should be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass, as you know. We are destined for persecution, destined for affliction. We're not surprised by that as Christians. All that will live godly in this present age will suffer persecution, the New Testament says. First Peter 5, 9, Peter says, "...the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers who are in the world." We expect the world to persecute Christians because they persecuted Christ, even to kill Christians because they killed Christ. They hate us because we're not of the world and they don't know God. So in the face of this, in the face of this world of tribulation that these men are looking at, how do they survive triumphantly? How do they get through? To what do they cling Well, our Lord says this. Go down to verse 33 again. Take courage. Take courage. Now, that seems like kind of a a weak response, doesn't it? Maybe some kind of a pep talk. You probably have had people tell you in the midst of your worst fears and anxieties and disappointments and distress and trouble, and somebody says, take courage. And sometimes you want to whack them as if they don't even understand the depth of your problem with such a superficial answer. What do you mean? It's a lot more complicated than that. Buck up, buddy. You know, that's not going to work. And there's a reason that's not going to work when you say it. Because you have absolutely no power over the circumstances. Right? It's a nice gesture. Cheer up. But you have no power over the circumstances. But there is one who does. When Jesus says, take courage, that's a different issue. There's quite a remarkable use of the word here. It's one word, take courage or cheer up, is one word, tharsete. One word in the Greek, it's a verb form, and it's in the imperative. It's a command, okay? Listen to this. Every time that word is used, and it's used many times in the Gospels, and the New Testament. Every time that word is used in the New Testament, it is in the imperative. It is a command, cheer up, take courage. Now listen to this. Every time it is used in the New Testament, it is spoken by Jesus. No one else ever says that in the New Testament. That is a whole different issue. If the Lord Jesus, who is in control of absolutely everything, says, cheer up, that's different. That's completely different. This is not just a well-intentioned pep talk. On the other hand, this is an absolutely divine promise. The disciples are distressed, to put it mildly. They're afflicted. They're pressured. 
They don't know how they're going to survive without Christ. He's all they've known for three years. And our Lord says to them, cheer up. I'm going to tell you three things that should bring you joy. One, you are loved by God. Two, you are in God's everlasting care. Three, God has a promise for your future. You have love, you have faith, and you have hope. You are loved by God. You believe in God. You hope in God. That's all you need, to be loved by God, to be entrusted into God's eternal care, and to have Him promise you a glorious future is all you need. And I would just say to you this, that this is what every human on the planet needs. Why do people not run to Christ so they can have one who loves them, who is the sovereign of the universe, one in whom they can trust their lives, who is all-powerful, and one who gives them a future and a hope, who literally controls the future? Why don't they run to Him? Simple answer, they love their sin. They love their sin. But for those who come to Him, He provides all that we need. To know you're loved by God, to know you're cared for by God, He's taken the trust that you've given Him by believing in Him, and He will hold you and keep you forever, and to know He has a hope for you, and He's in control of all things in the universe. That takes all the anxiety out of life. I can just tell you, I don't think there's a minute in my life where I don't have a, a tranquil peace and a sense of joy because of these things, no matter what else is happening around me, and a whole lot is very often. Peace of soul comes from love and faith and hope. Well, let's look at love. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. Now let me just tell you simply what this means. These things, what do you mean these things? Everything he said to them, not just the previous paragraph, not just that night, but all the things he had been saying to them all along in three years of teaching and instruction, it was all about the Father. It's all about the Father. At the end of verse 25, it's all of the Father. He's been revealing God. He's been revealing God. I and the Father are one. I do the Father's will. I only do what the Father shows me to do, wills for me to do, tells me to do. He revealed the Father God is revealed in Christ. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Him is the very wisdom and truth of God personified, John 1.14. So everything He ever said was to reveal the Father, to reveal God. But all of it was in figurative language. That's how the NAS translates it. Some translators say in parables, some say in allegories. None of these words are really good. Figurative language is, is probably close. The word is paroimia in the Greek, and it basically means a veiled statement. 
a pointed but veiled statement. That is, a statement that brings some light but still has some darkness. In other words, throughout his entire ministry, the Hebrew word is he spoke in mashal, mashal. Mashal is a veiled but pointed statement. Jesus spoke about being the light. He spoke about being water. He, he spoke about being bread. He spoke about the temple and His body. He spoke about eating His flesh and drinking His blood. And He said things like, before Abraham was, I am. And even though there was some light in all of this, there was darkness surrounding it. There was a, there was a veil over this. And now He's talking about dying and rising and leaving Now, there was enough truth in everything Jesus taught to remove any excuse for not not believing in Him. There was enough truth in what He taught to know that He was God, He was the Savior, He was the Messiah, and why He had come. But there was not always enough to, to understand everything. And He was speaking in veiled language because... There were things that hadn't happened that he couldn't fully explain. The cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the sending of the Holy Spirit. He had said a lot of things about the Father. But there was still a veil. It had all been veiled. It wasn't a full explanation. It wasn't just because things hadn't happened so they were not able to be explained, it was also because they were thick-headed. They had a hard time getting it, even what he did say. They were very reluctant to believe he would die and leave because they thought he was going to bring the kingdom, and they had all their personal ambition tied to that. They didn't want him to die. They didn't want him to leave. That was not in the plan. And so they created something of their own veil, And then they were also veiled by years and years of instruction in Judaism that was an apostate form of Judaism that had created these expectations but had failed to instruct them on the necessity of Messiah suffering and dying and rising again. So at the present, they're not clear on a lot of things. Chapter 16, verse 12, Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. You... you, I can't go any further. We're going to have to get on the other side of the cross, the other side of the resurrection, and with the coming of the Holy Spirit before you're going to fully understand. You can can realize this. If, If you were in their situation, you have no New Testament, and the cross hasn't happened, and the resurrection hasn't happened, and the Holy Spirit hasn't come, and you're trying to interpret all the things Jesus is saying in the light of what has not happened. But, he says... Verse 25, an hour is coming, an hour is coming, when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. What hour is that? What hour is that? Well, you say it could be after the resurrection when he met them on the Maus Road and met them in the upper room and explained the Old Testament to them, Luke 24. It could be the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension when he spoke to them of things concerning the kingdom of God. But the, but the best and most complete explanation of the hour is coming is the hour when the Holy Spirit is sent. We already know that He's promised the Holy Spirit, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, and always identified Him as the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth will remove the veil 
an hour is coming. In verse 26, it's called in that day. In verse 23, it's called in that day. That day, that day, that hour when the Holy Spirit comes. Pentecost, when the age of the Holy Spirit is launched. In the coming age, the veil comes off. The mysteries disappear. The mashals are over. Now, think of it this way. Jesus spoke in veiled language. Jesus spoke in parables, right? And parables hid truth from people who didn't get an explanation as a judgment. Parables had to be explained to the disciples. Jesus used parables. It was part of His initial instruction. This interesting fact you need to know. No one in the rest of the New Testament from the end of the Gospels, no one else ever gives a parable in the entire New Testament. No one. They're all direct, straightforward, simple, propositional statements of truth. The veil is off. Everything is unveiled after the cross, after the resurrection, after the ascension, after the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in the life of a believer and be a teacher, and the Holy Spirit inspires the writing of the New Testament where all the veils are removed. So that we have the book of Acts all the way through the book of Revelation to explain everything that Jesus introduced in the Gospels. So the hour is coming, the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. That will be the Holy Spirit, who, remember, is the Spirit of Christ. Christ comes back in the Spirit of Christ. This is the mystery of the Trinity. I'll speak plainly, and the plain speaking of the Spirit of Christ is recorded in the New Testament. Now we have all these 27 books, that take out all the mystery, obliterate all the darkness, and make everything light. In that day, verse 26, he says, You'll ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. What does that mean? In that day, you'll be able to talk to the Father personally. You don't need to come to me and have me request something of the Father for you. Well, that's been how their relationship worked up to now. Whatever they needed, they went to Jesus. And we see Jesus during His earthly ministry isolated time after time after time after time in prolonged times of prayer with the Father. What was He, what was he doing? He was taking to the Father the requests of His own but when the Holy Spirit comes, takes up residence in your life, you're going to be able to go directly to the Father. Look at verse 23. He already said this. In that day, you won't be questioning me about anything. You won't be talking. I won't be here. You won't need to ask me. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, He will give it to you. Until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Now, when the Spirit comes, you will have direct access to the Father. This is really a stunning thing to the Jewish people. Because God was distant and veiled. God was symbolically in the Holy of Holies. 
the Holy of Holies, only a high priest could go in there, and he could only go once a year, and he had to get in and get out fast, or judgment might fall on him. You didn't have access to God. But at the cross, you remember the veil was ripped from the top to the bottom, the Holy of Holies was exposed, and God was saying, everybody has free access to me. Everybody has free access. So Jesus says, look, in the dispensation of the Spirit, in the age of the Spirit, you don't need to ask me. You can ask the Father in my name. What do you mean in my name? Well, this would be how it would go. Father, I'm here because Jesus sent me and told me to come. You have that access. You have that privilege. And that, according to verse 24, is so that your joy may be made full. Direct access to God. This was absolutely alien to the Judaism of the time. God was distant. God was far away. You didn't even talk about God as your father. Maybe you talked about him as the father of, of, of all creatures or the father of the nation Israel, but you didn't become intimate with God, and you certainly didn't go to God and say, Abba, Papa. But now the Apostle Paul in Romans and Galatians says, when you go to God, say, Papa. You're going to have direct access to God. You don't need me to go for you. You can go. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't intercede for us. But listen, He intercedes for us on the matters over which we have no insight and knowledge and wisdom. But what we desire from God, we have direct access to ask for. And if it's consistent with the name of Jesus, the will of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, the Father responds. That alone sets Christianity apart from Judaism in a significant way. It also sets Christianity apart from Catholicism in a significant way. Catholicism is a kind of New Testament form of Judaism that says you don't have access to God. You need somebody else to give you that access like a priest that would be an Old Testament perspective. But in Roman Catholicism, this is what the Catholic Church teaches. They teach and have taught for centuries that access to the Father comes only through Mary. Only through Mary. Let me read Ludwig Ott. This is Roman Catholic systematic theologian who speaks for the Church. Quote, Mary's intercessory cooperation extends to all graces so that no grace accrues to mankind without the intercession of Mary. Did you get that? No grace accrues to mankind without the intercession of Mary. Continuing the quote, The redemptive grace of Christ is conferred on no one without the actual intercessory cooperation of Mary. You get nothing from God. Mary gets it for you. Jesus says, you don't need me, let alone Mary. You can go directly to the Father in my name, which is to say, I come because Jesus invited me to come. And you say, Abba, Father, Papa. You speak in terms of endearing familiarity. You don't need me to make those requests. I will be interceding for you. I will ever live to make intercession for you on matters about which you know nothing. I will fight the battle on the divine level for you. But you have complete access to God. Complete 
access to the Father. Now you say, well, how could we ever be given such a privilege? How, how have we, are we some kind of noble people? How could that ever be granted us? Now you come to verse 27. Here's the point. Why do we have this privilege? For the Father Himself loves you. There we are at that first point, love. Why does all this come to us? Because God loves us. God loves us so that we can go to Him and ask for anything consistent with the purpose of Jesus and know we will receive it. What an amazing truth. What an astonishing truth. All of the riches of heaven are at our disposal. Every good thing God wants to grant us because of Christ. Yes, God loves the whole world in a, in a general sense, but He loves His own. Remember 13.1? Unto perfection. He loves us in a special way. And it's even more special than you would note from the English because the word for love in verse 27 is not agapao or agape as you hear people use it. Agapao is that divine, supreme, sacrificial love of the will. That's not this word. This is the Greek verb phileo. Phileo. Word for love that's in the city of Philadelphia. Two Greek words, love and brother. The city of brotherly love. This is family love. This is deep affection. This doesn't speak about some universal uh, attribute of God. This speaks about a personal affection. You might say it this way. It's nice to know God loves you, but how much more wonderful is it to know that He actually likes you? He likes you. He's drawn to you. His affections go toward you. He wants to lavish you with all the benefits and blessings that His affection for you can draw. And it's present tense. He continually loves you with a deep affection. Yes, again, He loves everybody in the world. John 3.16, God so loved the world. But He has a special familial affection for those who belong to Him. I'm glad to be loved by God on some kind of divine level, but, but this is something beyond that. I'm really amazed that he has a warm and tender and deep affection and he has it all the time and it never wanes and it's affection that he reserves only for those who belong to him and as a result of that he lavishes on me all the things that that affection has available that, that's you can live life with that i may not have a lot of people that love me but if god loves me and he loves me like that i'm okay I'm okay. And here's the good news. He loves us like that even though He knows everything about us. You can get people to love you if you don't tell them everything. Right? As soon as you start telling them everything, the group gets smaller. But with God, He loves you and He knows absolutely everything there is to know about you. All your unfaithfulness, all your critical spirit, all your bitterness, all your sin but He likes you, and He has strong, unending affection for you. It's just an incredible thing. And we say, Abba, Father, I come because Jesus sent me to ask you for what's on my heart if it brings honor to Him. Now, how did, how did we get this love? Back to verse 27. The 
Father himself loves you, here it comes, because you have loved me. If you're here this morning, you're saying, I, I, how do I get God to go love me like that? How do, I, how do I get God to lavish his affection on me and to care for me and to pour out all the resources of heaven on my behalf, even though I'm not everything I should be? How do I do that? And the answer is clear as it can possibly be. You have loved me, Jesus says. You love Jesus, the Father loves you. The Father says, this is my beloved Son, listen to Him. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. If you love the Son that God loves, then God loves you. This is how you step into God's love, by loving His Son. Love my Son, be loved by me. Love my Son, be loved by me. Back in chapter 14, verse 21, it's good to compare. Jesus said, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. How do you know if you love Christ? Because you obey Him. You not, only, you not only love Him for who He is, you obey Him. And he who loves me, verse 21, will be loved by my Father. There's the same point. If you love me, my Father will love you, and I will love you, and I'll reveal myself to you. And then verse 23, if anyone loves me, again, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we'll come to him and make our abode with him. You want God to love you with lavish affection? Then love his Son. By the way, that's what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't mean to belong to an organization or a tradition. It means to love the Lord Jesus Christ. To love Him with a love that leads to obedient service and worship. You want to be loved at the highest level? You want to be loved in the most magnanimous way? You want to be loved by the one who has the most to give? You want to be loved by God? Then love His Son. Love His Son. And you will live in the, the riches of that love your whole life. People may come in and out of your life and love you and turn against you and disappoint you, but you will be loved by one whose love will never stop and never diminish. If a person has love like that, he can suffer anything. Bring it on. Put me in jail. Kill me. For to me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. I just enter into the lavishness of eternal love hard to live without love. People need love, any kind of love. But why settle for something temporal, fluctuating, conditional, superficial, when you can be loved like this? By the one who knows everything there is to know about you and loves you fully anyway. The second provision that causes us to be able to cheer up, take courage, is faith. Verse 27, you not only have loved me, but you've believed that I came forth from the Father. That's so important, I can't emphasize it enough. You have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father. I've come into the world. I'm leaving the world again. I'm going to the Father. Do you understand that right there in those few simple sentences without a complicated word, you have the entire story of the incarnation? What do you believe? You don't believe Jesus was a good guru. Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus was a religious man. Jesus was a wise uh, uh, spiritual leader. No. You believe that I came forth from the Father. 
that he is essentially a member of the Trinity, that he is God who came into the world. You believe that. The Jews didn't believe that. The Jews said he's from Satan. He's, he's got a demon. But you believe that I came forth from God, and you believe that I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. That's the incarnation. And now I'm going to do my work, and then I'm going to leave the world again and go back to the Father. In other words, you believe that Jesus Christ is God who came down in human flesh, not born of Joseph and Mary, but conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit as God the Son lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, rose physically from the grave, ascended back to heaven. You believe the gospel, the facts of the gospel. You believe it. This is the most simple, concise, clear statement of the purpose of Christ. It is the basis of what we believe, that Christ came down as God into this world and did His work of redemption, and then went back to the Father. Those few simple words sweep from heaven to earth and back to heaven again. No hostile power forced Him to leave heaven. No hostile power on earth sent Him back. He came of His own will and the will of the Father and the purpose of the Spirit. He did His work, and then He went back in perfect concert with the will of God and the mission the Trinity had ordained. As simple as these words are, they're infinite in the sweep that they cover from God in heaven, Christ on earth, back to heaven, from eternity to eternity, in the incarnation in the middle. This is the redemptive plan. This is what they believed. They didn't believe Jesus was just a rabbi, just a good teacher. They had earlier said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Holy One of God. But this confession may literally go beyond that. They, they now know that He came from heaven and He's going back to heaven. You believe that. That's what you have to believe. If you believe that, if you believe that, you Commit your life to God. If you believe that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh who came into this world to die as a sacrifice for sin and to rise again to provide our justification before God and ascended back to heaven, if you believe that and you put your trust in Him as Savior, God becomes your eternal protector. God will care for you forever. You're His child. That love story is true. God so loved that He sends His Son, does the work, goes back and takes His place at the right hand of God. I like the response in verse 29. His disciples said, Lo, now you're speaking plainly and not using a figure of speech. There's not a figure of speech in those statements. You, you came down, you do your work, you go back. That's very clear. Now you're talking, they say. Now we get it. That's not veiled. Wow. This is simple. Simple enough for us to understand plan is clear. You came down. You provided instruction for us. And when your ministry here on earth is done, you're going to go back. They didn't yet want to acknowledge that that ministry here included death and resurrection. They're beginning to see some clarity. John Calvin said they might not have fully understood it, but the mere scent of this truth refreshed them. And they believed 
They believe that He was God in human flesh. They believe that He came from heaven. And they make the confession in verse 30. It's amazing. Now we know that you know all things. Well, if He knows all things, then who is He? Who alone knows all things? God. This is, this is a great confession. How, do, well, how did they come to that conclusion? They've been with Him three years. They knew He knew everything. He read minds. He knew what they were thinking Back in verse 19, he says, are you deliberating together about this? I know what you're thinking. He knew everything about everything. So omniscience was convincing. We know that you know all things, and you don't, you don't ask anybody anything. I mean, they spent their whole life realizing they were ignorant and they needed somebody to give them information. Jesus never asked anybody anything. Never asked anybody anything. He knew everything. You must be God. You must be God. By this we believe that you came from God. That is the, that is the foundation of the Christian faith. Believing Jesus is God in human flesh. They believed. They believed. And they affirm that belief. It's like a high point, isn't it? Wow. You say, wouldn't it be great if the evening closed that way? You believe, and we all celebrate. It doesn't close that way. In verse 31, Jesus says to them, Jesus answered them, and some translations say, do you now believe? But there's no difference in the Greek language, the original language, between indicative and interrogative. So it could simply be this, and I, I would prefer this, you are now believing. You are believing now. You are believing now. Really important, he affirms their faith. I don't think he questions it. I think he affirms it. You are believing now. You get it. You understand it. They are absolutely right. He did come down from heaven. He was going to do his work and go back to where he had come from. They did believe the right thing. They believed he was God in the world. And I think he affirms that. You are believing now. You are believing now. This moment, you're believing. But that's not where the chapter ends. Then he says to them in verse 32, Behold, an hour is coming, has already come, for you to be scattered each to his own home and to leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. There's another hour coming when they run. When was that? Just a, maybe a couple hours from this statement. They go into the garden. Jesus is arrested and they flee. Zechariah 13.7 says, Smite the shepherd and the sheep are scattered. Matthew 26 pictures them running. Verse 56, they all fled. The disciples left him and fled. Was their faith a sham? Well, he just said, you are now believing, but an hour is coming when you're going to run in doubt and fear. Was that faith a sham? No. It was weak faith. It was little faith, like the man who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Fill me up. Get this faith to maturity. 
It was very important for Jesus to say that so that when they did that, they would say, oh, it's exactly what he said we'd do, which again affirms his omniscience. And it also affirms the fact, listen, that he knew they were true believers and they were loved by the Father even though their faith was weak. Apostle Paul said, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Look, we'd like to believe that our faith is fully mature, right? Wouldn't you like to believe that? That no matter what trial comes along, whatever issue comes into your life, your, your faith is mature enough to rest completely confidently in God. But understand, these are very, very young people in the faith. Their faith is weak. Jesus called them, O ye of little faith. And he says, look, I'm telling you, you're going to run. He said that to Peter, and Peter said, oh, no, 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 I'll die with you. Peter thought he was a rock, and they were all just a bunch of pebbles. And they started running fast. Does this mean their faith wasn't real? No, it just means that it was, it was weak. It was um, immature. It was in need of maturity and growth. They did believe, and they believed the right thing. But they overestimated the strength of their faith. I encourage young believers that the most helpful thing in your development is not to overestimate your strength and not to overestimate your faith and be afraid of your weakness and live humbly. But their faith was real. And it was tested. And when it was tested, they fled. But at the night of the resurrection, they fled on Friday by Sunday night, they were all back together and their faith literally was inflamed. And when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, they then turned the world upside down. There's a maturing process. But they believed. And because they believed, God kept them and God used them mightily when their faith was strengthened. Love, you can't live without love. And to be loved by the God of the universe, you can't live without a deliverer, somebody to rescue you from the corruption of the world, uh, somebody to overcome the issues of your life. And if you put your trust in God, you have the promise that God will hold on to you even when your faith is weak. And then lastly, hope. And that gets us into verse 33. Jesus said, I won't really be alone when you leave me because the Father is with me. Always, obviously, because of the nature of the Trinity. But then he says this in verse 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. I want you to be at peace. That's his last words. I want you to be at peace. So I've been saying this to you. What will bring you peace? Number one, to know that God loves you with an everlasting and sovereign and divine love. To know that you belong to God. Your faith is the real thing. And God is your Redeemer, your Savior, and your Protector and Provider. But thirdly, your peace comes from this. In the world you have tribulation. Take courage. I've overcome the world. That's hope. That's hope. You look at the world around you, you say, what in the, what in the world is going on? How could it get any worse? Listen. He overcame the world. Past tense. It hasn't yet worked out in time, but it's all planned in eternity. This is ultimate victory. 
The world will persecute you. The world may kill you, turn against you. But I have overcome the system. I have overcome sin. I have overcome Satan. I have overcome demons. I have overcome the complex of sinners. I've overcome it all. He is triumphant. His victory is our victory. 1 John 5, 4 and 5, we are overcomers because our faith is in Christ and we are united with Christ in His victory. Paul says to the Corinthians, we always triumph in Christ. doesn't matter how the world is going. He wins in the end. He wins. There is hope. There is absolute hope. My beloved brethren, Paul says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you want peace in your life, tranquility in the midst of turmoil? you want joy in your life, the positive exuberance to face life, no matter how difficult it might be? Then you need to be in the arms of a loving God, a God in whom you've entrusted your eternal soul who cares for you and holds on to you everlastingly, even through your times of doubt, and a God who has power not only over the present, but power over the future and has already ordained that future and your part in that future and inheritance undefiled laid away for you in heaven. You can live with that. Think of it. God loves you. God holds you. And God has a purpose for you in eternity to come. Father, we thank You for our time together around this text that so much more here that uh, we could talk about. But Lord, You've given us enough to thrill our hearts with Your provision in the midst of the bleakness of those hours as the disciples looked at the darkness and it was a metaphor for what life seemed to appear to be without Jesus, yet there was a path to peace and a path to joy, and it was to know they were loved by the God of the universe, they were entrusted into His eternal care, and they would never perish, He would never lose His grip on them, even through their times of struggle and doubt and scattering, He would hold on to them, and that there was a promise of an overcoming future, triumphant hope, a kingdom that was to come, the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, the kingdom on earth, and then the eternal kingdom in the new heaven and the new earth. These are the great promises of the gospel for those who turn to Christ. May we embrace those with joy and thanksgiving. In His name, amen. You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible teacher with Grace to You. For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit Grace to You's website, gty.org. And for details about the Masters University where John serves as president, go to masters.edu. John MacArthur and Grace to You reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available at gty.org and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating this digital file. I don't know about anybody else, but I needed to hear that. <laughs> it's going. 
I wrote down as well that uh, uh, it truly is mind-boggling, uh, and I think this is uh, something that, that I also like that the, the John MacArthur brought up. It's, it's not just that God li- loves you; it's that He likes you. you know, he actually <laughs> wants wants that relationship with you. Now, that's not to say because I've heard other people complain about people saying that God doesn't need that. He doesn't need anything. He's self-sufficient, but. You know, I mean, that that doesn't necessarily mean that it's like, hey, you know what, that would be something I'd like to have. You know, that would be a relationship with them is something I'd like to have. In fact, that relationship or or what we're made for is worship. God doesn't uh, need worship, but he deserves it. (laughs) So he is deserving of us uh, uh, to uh, to be worshiping him. (laughs) So, yeah, it's... uh, uh, I think again, it's it, it's definitely interesting to to think about things in, in that way. But I, I definitely like that you brought that up. That um, that uh, it, it's something that I think can get lost. Um, it's something that uh, people can struggle with. That you know they that or or that they can forget. You know they can get lost in this world where there's so much other stuff out there. You know that God loves you. You know that that you're you've been chosen. So that that makes you good enough. And um, he loves you, so uh, not because of us, because of, of him. He's 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 the one that um, mm-hmm. fulfilled all righteousness, and um, it's because of what he did on the cross. Mhm. Amen. Mhm. Yeah. Was there anything else that uh, that stood out for you, or more you want to say about that? Um. That's all I'm thinking about right now. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Uh, well, again, feel feel free to free free to interrupt me. Um, but uh, I think that um, th- th- this kind of goes to an oddity, I would say, that that is in humanity. Um, but I think it's it's wrapped up in us, you know, when we're born, being slaves of sin, being being of darkness, uh, and God being the light. Um, we all have a God-shaped hole in all of our hearts. Um, and and I think the reason why, and John MacArthur was bringing up those three things, and he kept on referring back to the three realities, you know, that we desire to be loved, we desire to have someone to trust, have that faith uh, in, and have hope. That's that God-shaped hole that's in everyone's heart. And I think that the reason why They'll go to other things. You know, people will selfishly try to fill that hole with other things, you know, uh, and not God, is because they're of darkness. You know, but but they're still looking for something. They're still not satiated. They're they're looking for that, uh, you know, the the water that will make them not thirsty anymore, the bread that will make them not hungry anymore. You know, they're looking for that, but they're looking in all the wrong places. You know, some will go to, I mean, name whatever sin you want to out of the Bible. You know, uh, uh, gluttony, sex, you know, uh, fornication, um, you know, whatever it is. Uh, or some look for what's popular nowadays. I mean, in today's society, society is this huge thing that you can now worship. Um, that you can look for uh, for meaning, for to be loved, to have trust in, and to find hope in. 
Um, in fact, I'd probably tie it back to uh, what I what I brought up um, earlier on on the whole transgenderism yes. thing. You know, uh, then just if, if you're looking, what? Mm-hmm. Oh, I said sorry. Yep, I said yeah, exactly. just it's, and it doesn't like fulfill. Mm-hmm. Nope. Yeah, not at all. Um, and and but 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 we're still all looking for that thing. I mean, what does someone who believes that they're transgendered? Because um, I honestly, to to you know, kind of put a uh, I don't know, a nail in this or something, or to, to put it bluntly, I think that uh, the people who consider themselves transgendered, they do have a mental disorder. They're delusional. And I think I think that it's, again, I think it's, it's, it's them looking to society, looking to man to define themselves, and not looking to God. Um, because if you were to look to God and go, okay, you know, Lord, my Savior, you made me who I am. That's who I am. You know, not, well, look, let me look at these other people here. Let me see, well, I'm, I'm biologically a man, but I cry sometimes when I watch sad shows. Uh, I like artistic things. I like classical music or whatever. I don't know. I think, or, or, or I don't like, I don't like, uh, you know, building cars or sports, does that make me not a man? You know, does that mean that, that my brain is wrong, that I was actually supposed to be born a woman? You know, do, does whatever yeah. personality traits I have mean that I'm supposed to, well, no, I'm not supposed to be doing that. I'm supposed to be looking to God for my identity. I'm supposed to look at the Bible and say, who, who am I in God? Who am I in Christ? That's yeah, where that's I should be looking for my happens. identity. Usually happens is, like, they have wrong teaching, Instead of someone mm-hmm. uh, giving the right teaching of what God wants for them, they they go to someone else and and then they end up having the wrong teaching. Mm-hmm. Like um, I even uh, exactly. there is this there is this uh, this uh, magazine that my sister just got. It says it was a it's a, a history of a, a boy that that's transgender girl and um, and he's he's saying um, that. He doesn't have to pretend to be a boy. And I'm like, I'm like, you, you weren't. I'm thinking you're not pretending. That's what you are. It's just someone didn't tell you the right mm-hmm. thing. They told you that you could be something else when that's not what you are. Yeah, and and yeah, and what I, what I'd also say is again that that's looking like I, I actually this is kind of going back to the conversation I had with that atheist that I I told him like okay well if if someone came up to me and said no. I have my own, you know, free will and, and not being pressured by anyone else, choose to change, uh, you know, I- inject hormones into myself and, and mutilate the exterior of my body to become who I'm actually supposed to be. Uh, I will know that that person is, is being dishonest with me or at the very least dishonest with themselves and then spreading that dishonesty to me. Um, because the only way you'd, you'd sit down and go, okay, I don't have to pretend to be a boy anymore. Well then, what what are what's your conception of what a boy is? You know, yeah. I mean, are you looking to society? Are you looking to other people and going, oh wait, these these group of boys over here, they like sports, uh, they like playing war games, um, you know, they like this, that, and the other thing. But I'm not like that. I guess that means that I'm not a boy. No, <laughs> that's not what you do. I mean, it, it, no. I, what I'll say is I mentioned this to the atheists as well. It seems as though um, <clears throat> that gender, you know, quote-unquote, has become uh, akin to personality. I mean, you go on Facebook, and apparently there's like 70-plus different genders you can choose from. 
That's not that's not gender. That's personality type. And I don't think the personality type. There, I don't think there's any one personality type that is mutually exclusive to one of the biological sexes. And as a result of that, you should not be looking to personality type in order to determine what your biological sex is supposed to be. <laughs> but anyway, again, that, that's me going off on some uh, sort of a uh, uh, diatribe in. in a way. But <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, I kind of brought it up as well, but but. What I'll say is, is this, this goes directly with what, what, uh, what I was talking about before where, uh, or wh- what you were also talking about, where people will go to, to something, to things, or to people to fill what seems to be wrong in themselves, seems, uh, what seems to be missing in themselves. Yeah. Um, and I'll also mention this as, as kind of a way to maybe put a, um, an end on the conversation of uh, uh, transgenderism. Um, I really... I'm of the mind, and I think that this is biblical as well, that it, it is more loving to share the truth with someone than to encourage someone in a delusion. Like if yeah. someone came to me and said, oh, no, I think, I think that, uh, that, that sticking with my girlfriend as long as we are, you know, we're, we're sure we're going to, you know, get married, that that's okay. That's not a sin. <laughs> I'm going to share the truth with them. I'm not going to go, oh, yeah, no, that's, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry. That's a, it doesn't make sense that way. Similarly, I mean, with, with any delusion, really, I think that um, I brought this up with, uh, with the atheists as well, where I'm like, okay, well, if we're going to encourage these people in the uh, delusion that they are born in the wrong body for whatever reason or that they are actually a woman rather than a man or a man rather than a woman, um, then why don't we do that with, with other people? who have similar or, or uh, uh, maybe even dissimilar even uh, things that they believe. For instance, if you go to someone who has schizophrenia and they believe that uh, the Martian people that speak to them through the radio tell them the secrets of the life that they have to, uh, to abide by, um, should I go, oh, yeah, go ahead. Yep, yep. No, that, that's a good thing. It might make them feel more comfortable because I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's very distressing for someone who has delusions um, or, or some kind of a disorder for other people to say, no, you're wrong in this. But that distress, I think, is preferable to encouraging them to live in a lifestyle that will be detrimental to their lives. And again, going yeah. with, that, um, with that stat that I brought up before, the 40, uh, 41% either commit suicide or, uh, or have attempted suicide throughout their lifetime, detrimental, even just that, but other things as well. But anyway, again, I'm trying to <laughs> trying to move on, I guess. But, but either way, I think that it's, it's more loving to share the truth with someone than it is to um, to not, I guess, to, to put it, I guess, a little bit more bluntly. <laughs> but um, yeah, let yeah, alone encourage like someone. Yeah, like has cancer is going to be uh, distressing, mm-hmm. but then it's going to alert them that they have a problem and they got to do something about it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, or, or similarly, you're not going to put a Band-Aid on someone who has a broken leg, give them painkillers, and go, okay, go live your yeah. life, you know, with that broken <laughs> leg. I mean, their their leg is not supposed to be that way. With that cancer, their body's not supposed to be that way. Um, you know, with uh, with someone with a mental disorder, um, be it schizophrenia, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, uh, gender dysphoria, or whatever they want to call it, because it's really gender identity disorder. They, they call it both things. Yeah. So, um but whether, whatever the case may be, they're, they're not supposed to be that way. If that was the natural way, that's how things are supposed to be, then the vast majority of people would have that rather than the vast minority. 
but but either way, again, this is kind of getting into more philosophical things rather than <laughs> rather than uh, um, uh, the message that I want to discuss. So, <laughs> but um, um, I think that. Oh, was there anything else you wanted to, to add to that subject before we move on? <laughs> oh no, no, thanks. Okay, good. cool. Um, uh, I think that uh, another thing that I wrote down here is that um, that Christians are outside the world system. I like that he mentioned uh, that, that John MacArthur mentioned that that like I was talking about you know uh, the world you know that uh, um, uh, you know in the world you you have tribulation. Um, it's not like the planet you know because I mean if if we obliterated all humans off of the off of the planet you know, the planet would still be here. Well, is God then still talking about the world? No. <laughs> you know, it's, there's no tribulation there. Everything's gone, you know. Um, you know, and, I like that, he, um, that he brought up that it's, it's the world system. Mm-hmm. One thing that I was thinking that um, that he said that, I think I think it's kind of like uncorrect, because he said something about, like, that they love in general, but that part where it says, that God should love the world, that's the ones that are going to be his. I kind of think that he kind of was off by that, like that it's not everybody. Mm-hmm. I guess God still gives grace to everybody, but he loves those that are his. Yeah, well, and, and if we go to, uh, this is some some Greek that I've been told about from multiple sources, so I trust it, that um, that in John 3.16, the object of the sentence is the believing ones. Um, yeah. So it's it's that that's that's the main main topic of the sentence. Um, so, but but yeah, what I'd say is is that um, I would say similarly to what I just said before, that it's more loving to share the truth. I think that it could be it could be looked at in that in that way as well. That God so loved all of the world that He's sharing the truth with everyone. That He's going, okay, well, I, I love all the world, therefore I've given you general revelation. You know that I exist. You know, what I mean, it could be looked at in that way as well. But again, since I'm not, I'm not going to claim to be to to, to be. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess that's very like I, I don't have a I don't have a master of divinity and in, in you know from from some college and and know Greek and Hebrew and whatnot and be able to to go through everything uh, perfectly. But um, but yeah, what I'd say is, is I, I definitely agree with uh, with the um, with you theologically speaking that 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 you cannot say okay, well God uh, God is omnibenevolent. I've heard other people say you know try and use that and and actually mainly I've heard that as an argument against God's existence, like atheists saying well because you believe that God's omnibenevolent. Uh, no, sorry, objection. I I don't. Even, the Bible says that he doesn't, you know, <laughs> even just, even just Esau, you know, even if we just take Esau, that's an example of God not loving everyone. He's not omnibenevolent, but, but yeah, either way, I think that um, uh, theologically speaking, I, I agree with what you're saying. But again, I think that, that um, I think that the, the Bible is, is awesome in the way that you can read it and you can uh, become saved because you've heard the word. Um, and it's so simple that a, a child can understand that, but it can also become so deep. You know, there's, it's not just some surface level thing that so many yeah. uh, unbelievers think it is. You know, they'll, they'll try and, uh, um, you know, dumb it down or they'll try and explain it away or what. I think I even wrote something down a little bit later on that I might, might bring up but, uh, about this. But, um, but it's, if you really start to, to study the Bible, it's so deep. 
<laughs> there's so much to learn from inside of it. Yeah. Could provide for many lifetimes just the stuff you could learn, maybe in, even just mm-hmm. a small part of it, like so much to learn. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, so yeah. Um, but uh, oh, uh, one thing I wanted to mention um, uh, was with the uh, um, the Christians. Christians are outside the world system, um, like I was saying before. Uh, but the, what we discussed uh, even earlier with with the works based, you know, thing, like that that all other worldviews are works based. Um, mm-hmm. I think that 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 that's essentially us being. That's that's a part of us being outside of the world system because that world system, the default that I was talking about before, is that we want to be the ones to pull our own bootstraps up. You know that that we're yeah. the ones that want to contribute to being a good person because it makes me feel good that I did something to make me a better person. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, so that 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 can be a default, unfortunately. So again, I think that's part of, uh, you know. Uh, However, however, in whatever part, you know, that, that that's Christians being outside of the world system, um, and something well, else. Well, we, we had that in us uh, where we're never, we felt like we're never doing enough, and we can't. But that's mm-hmm. not. Oh, absolutely. But we, it's not what we like. I always said before, it's not what we do; it's what God does. Like, we can never do enough anyway, Amen. even if we is for God or doing good or whatever we want to do. It it's never enough anyway. Nope. That's the whole point. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, and it's it's a uh, uh, it's the difference between having a man-centered and a God-centered view. It's, it's, yeah. it's a man-centered worldview versus a, a God-centered worldview. You know, it's a, I think to quote uh, Dr. James White or paraphrase him, I guess. Um, I realize that I am insufficient to be the center of my own worldview, um, and I think that uh, I'd hope. <laughs> That, that that people would would be able to understand, uh, and when I say people, I'm talking about like people who are not Christian would be able to understand what is meant by that, and actually really examine that statement and go, okay, what what is meant by that? Um, because I think it it really creates a from their perspective, if you were to look at it from the outside, you would create a much more stable system. Uh, you know, of a worldview, a, a man-centered one. I mean, even just looking at it from the outside, from an unbelieving perspective, um, I'd think that they'd be able to look at that and see, okay, well, this actually is more stable, <laughs> rather than having a man-centered, completely subjective basis to uh, to examine everything else under. But um, uh, but uh, one other real quick thing I wanted to mention um, in this was uh, when 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 John MacArthur was talking about Christians being outside of the world system, um, uh, that they will hate us for being outside the world system. I thought of um, uh, Pilgrim's Progress when they, when they went to Vanity Fair and, and, and oh, the people yeah. started to hate them because, because they were like, wait, why don't you, why aren't you like enamored with our goods? Why don't you want our stuff? And then they went <laughs> like, I mean, it, I'd recommend if you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, it is such a good read, <laughs> but um yeah. Uh, but either way, um, the reason why that came came to mind is because I wrote this down here that um, uh, not only will they hate us, and they will want to kill us for following Christ, like radical Muslims want. I'm not saying that all Muslims want to you know kill all Christians and whatnot, but it's the radicals most definitely. If you don't uh, if you don't think that, you should read the Quran a bit more. Um, but uh, or, and, and see that some people who read it in a radical extremist way 
uh, you know, that, that's kind of bad. Um, but but I, I wanted to write that down just because um, of what's going on in our world right now, you know, with the, uh, um, like what's hap- what happens uh, over in France or uh, uh, whatnot. Uh, again, I, you guys, I'm sure, have heard multiple things. But um, uh, let's see here. Um, like, oh, yeah, um, so this is something. Go ahead. It's like uh, uh, this one guy, I think it's Paul Washer, he said, he said that, like, even though the reason is we are Christian, but he said that we'll be hated because we'll be called, we'll be thought of as bigots and and hateful people because basically because we aren't like the world. We aren't doing what they want to do. We aren't approving of what they mm-hmm. do, of the wrong things they do. And so basically, yeah, we yeah, we'll be hated because, like you said, like the Vanity Fair, we're not doing what the world is doing and we're against mm-hmm. it. So we'll be hated because of that. And even though it is really yeah. truly because we are Christian, they won't think of it mm-hmm. as, they'll think of it like, oh, you aren't the one that really is like going for God. Um, we are, or something, basically in a way, sometimes mm-hmm. that will be like the thing, case. Yeah, um, and what I'd say is, is that um, I think that uh, I think that the way that the world well, here let me explain it this way: that um, being a Christian, there are certain things that the Bible says we are to do. Um, you know, and and that whole thing about before that I mentioned about sharing the truth being more loving than keeping the truth yeah. away from people, that's going to make it. So like you're saying, they're, they're going to come up with terms. Um, you know, they're, they're going to call us, uh, uh, I don't know, misogynistic, homophobic, transphobic, whatever you want to, to whatever terms they want to throw at us. Um, because we're, we're speaking truth as opposed to going, oh, okay, whatever you say reality is, that's what reality is. It's all subjective. You know, because we're going, yeah. okay, no, reality is what the mind of God said it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> that's what reality is. And we're not going to, to, um, we're not going to lie about what, what God has clearly revealed in the Scripture, what God has clearly revealed in uh, general revelation, um, to all people, we're not going to lie about those things because I'm not going to lie about God. <laughs> you know, uh, so I'm I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to, uh, you know, try and make you feel better. You, my, my priority is not someone else's feelings. My priority is my Lord and Savior. <laughs> you know, so I think again, it's it's very not man-centered, God-centered. That's 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 where the crux of things is going to be. And like you're saying, there can be people saying, no, I'm the one who's getting closer to God. I'm the one doing the good things. I can see that you're being hateful and not accepting other people. And again, it's, 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 I think it's, it's darkness liking darkness and hating the light. You know, uh, we're all born sinners. Like, like I've said before, uh, we all want to be the savior of our own lives and earn what we get. You know, it's like, ha-ha, so, so I can feel good. You know, oh, look at what I've earned by doing all these good things. You know, I mean, that, that can be very tempting to our sin nature. Um, so, so, yeah, I think that 
that that's all all intertwined. <laughs> and um, uh, to, yeah. to uh, mention something else, I wrote down here. Uh, we we have such a benefit, and this is something that I like that John MacArthur also mentioned. That we have such a benefit in being born after the time of Christ, and that actually kind of brings me to a, a, an odd subject. I don't know about anyone else, but I hate the use of like CE and BCE. Why not just use <laughs> BC and AD as as it's been used for the last like however many you know, I think it's like fifteen hundred years or or more. You know, it's like why change now? Oh. Because you don't like that B.C. is before Christ? Really? That's the reason? Why not? Uh-huh. We're going to have to change all the books that mention, that like discuss, you know, in, in the year of our Lord, blah, 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 A.D. We yeah, have to change like, that uh, now? <laughs> like before common era, what's, what's the common era? It's Jesus. <laughs> He's the one that makes Why don't we... Yeah, why don't we could just complete? I mean, if you're really going to start that over, why not just completely start from zero again? You know, because <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not it's, what what era? Why why is that the common era? What started around then? Oh, because three years earlier Christ was born. Oh, okay. Well, you yeah. didn't you didn't get rid of you didn't get rid of Jesus. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> oh, this is funny. Way, uh, um, that reminds mm-hmm. me of real quick. Um, uh, there was a, a person who was like, I guess he was the eighties or something. Like he didn't like the cross, like they're having on like a, a it was on a, a, I guess, I guess it was government land or something. And so like mm-hmm. he got them to take that down, and then a whole bunch of other people put crosses on their on their um, their private um, and business land. <laughs> it was funny because mm-hmm. they they like you ain't gonna take away God from us like. We're gonna uh, still have, you know, like have the cross. I thought that yeah, was. Cool. Here's here's something. Yeah. Well, oh, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. But but here's something that is. Uh, whenever this topic comes up, the whole quote unquote, and the reason why I put quote unquote is because it's quoting a letter and not an actual official uh, uh, government document, you know, founding document of our country. Huh. The separation of church and state, you know, quote unquote, um, yeah. not to be confused with the First Amendment, um, but uh, but anyway, uh, that if that were the case, if it were the case that they wanted to completely and utterly remove uh, Christianity from all of government, then why are there so many government buildings and 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 government like? state-run things that have verses. I mean, why? Here's a good one. Well, I was going to say verses like engraved in stone, you know, like above doorways. Um, Or here's a good one. When they made the Washington Monument, (laughs) why is there a Bible that's inside the top? There's a cap on top of the Washington Monument, that big pillar, you know, uh, or the uh, obelisk, I guess, to to put a proper term to it. Uh, or kind of, but the the big Washington Monument. There's a Bible inside there. Oh yeah, that's completely separation of church. They wanted to separate it so much that they hid the Bible inside the di- inside the the monument. But anyway, it, it's I don't know. I, I just I get I get sick of them trying to say oh because there's a separation we can't have anything. So that so we're basically completely and utterly removing the First Amendment. But uh, I don't know. Coming coming to a uh, a state near you getting rid of uh, 501c3 because we're all 
bigoted, uh, misogynistic homophobes. Um, <laughs> so we're not going to get tax breaks for our churches and schools that are based on, uh, uh, you know, biblical teachings. But uh, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so, so the, no, 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 it's okay because <laughs> I, th- I think that's, that's rather important, especially right, you know, in today, um, in today's era where we're, where we have so many people, uh, you know, pushing against. And, and, and the thing is, because our, our society has become a lot more secularized and a lot more, uh, well, uh, sin-filled, I'd, I'd honestly say, or, or where sin has become a lot more acceptable, um, they have now this huge backing behind them. And they, it's becoming like Romans, where it's like, okay, not only do they do these things, they give hearty approval to people who do these awful things, uh, these, these awful sins. So now that they're giving hearty approval, now that society is starting to do that, they're becoming a lot more vocal in these ways. So I think it's a very important, that issue is a very important thing to, to realize uh, today, that, that because they feel like they can speak out, because they feel like they can attack more often, it's just going to happen more often. That's just how it is. I mean, that's, and, and that's why Christian bakeries, Christian pizzerias, Christian uh, uh, jewelers, they're the ones being attacked and not, for instance, Muslim bakeries, Muslim, well, I don't know if there are Muslim pizzerias. There probably are. Uh, Muslim, you know, uh, jewelers, um, you know, those, those ones, oh, we never hear about them being sued and shut down. Well, why? Oh, because they want to be marked as, a, as, a, uh, as, a, as an Islamophobe. You know, oh, we can't do that. Even though the Islamic-run countries are the ones who are throwing uh, homosexuals off rooftops, knocking walls on top of them, you know, things that are probably a bit more extreme than, than Christians just saying that homosexuality is a sin according to Scripture. Um, so, but eh, anyway, so again, I think that that's very important. I don't think that that tangent is, is something that's um, an unnecessary one, to say the least. <laughs> but... Um, uh, but here, um, uh, to to do this really quickly, because there was a couple other things I wanted to mention yeah, um, that, that came up while listening, um, is that, uh, and, and, and oddly enough, you know, after discussing that whole thing where, where now society uh, is becoming more and more uh, vocal about speaking out against uh, Christians in general, um, and even people who would, I would not consider Christians, but still being able to speak out against them as well, but uh, that we still regardless of how much persecution we, we uh, or, or tribulation as, as the, the scripture, uh, as John, John 16 was talking about, even with all that, we still are, uh, ben- we st- it's still such a benefit that we live in the time after Christ um, because, uh, um, because of, of what, what was said in John 16, 12, that uh, you know, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. We're in a time where we were able to hear them, you know, where before that they weren't able to hear that. I mean, they weren't able to hear what, what Christ had to say, what, uh, what, what the, like John MacArthur was saying, what the New Testament has. Um, so, and, and then I'd say also similarly, uh, sometimes uh, we aren't quite ready to hear what God has to say to us, I'd say, you know, where, um, where you might uh, come upon some, sin in your life, uh, you know, or, or something like that. And you go, oh, well, I wasn't quite ready for that, Lord. I mean, is this really what you want me to work on right now? I don't know about that. Are you sure? You know, we, we might, might uh, 
uh, push against that uh, because of our sin nature. But uh, but I mean sometimes we can uh, sometimes we can we can have that resistance when when God reveals something or when God tells us something. It's like, are you sure, Lord? You know, or, is that really really you know? <laughs> Or in whatever case, it might not even just be a sin. It might be like, really, Lord, you want me to do what now? <laughs> but, um, but I, I really, um, uh, I think that's that's another important thing uh, to to know. Um, and I think, oh, this is something I wrote down a little bit, a little bit longer, a little bit later on. I think, oh, that was it. Yeah, that's right here. Um, that uh, that we should not overestimate our capabilities. I think that um, that uh, John MacArthur had mentioned that, or, or this is something that that I thought of while he was speaking. Um, you should always be able to say what you struggle with, you know, uh, uh, what sins you have, uh, that, uh, that you push against, um, that, uh, uh, because I mean, regardless of, of what some people may say, we're not going to reach a, a spot where we're sinless down here in the world. It's just not going to happen. We're going to struggle against our flesh until the day we die. Only after glorification, only after God has glorified us in heaven, um, will we be without sin. <laughs> um, and, and if you think you're good, um, that you follow all the rules, essentially legalism, uh, then I would say that doesn't make you good. That makes you ignorant. Um, because uh, because and, and what I'll say is, I'm not saying that we can't have a, a time or moments in our life where we're not sinning. Because if we as Christians happen to not sin, that's Christ in us and not us. That's not of ourselves that we're doing that. We're not doing that completely in and of ourselves. And on top of that, I mean, we, we could even just go down to a fundamental level on this and go, okay, the only reason why I was able to have a moment in my life where I did not sin is because God regenerated me. And how, how did that happen? Well, Christ. So it's still Christ. You know, it's, it's not me. It's, it's God's work. Um, in fact, um, I can't remember off the, off the top of my head, but it's where uh, the Bible uh, tells, tells us that God preordained good works so that we would then walk through them. So even the good works that we do, God preordained those things. We are simply walking through them. We are still choosing those things. We're still capable of, uh, well, just like we choose sin, you know, uh, uh, we're able to, to choose between the two because we're regenerate. Before that, when we're slaves to sin, we're only able to choose sin because of our capabilities as a sinner. Uh, we need to be regenerate in order to be able to even have the capability of being able to choose the good works that God has preordained for us to do. Um, but again, that, that kind of gets into a, a deep, much deeper topic. If you want to read more about how predestination, our ability to choose, and all that stuff fits together, I definitely recommend um, uh, The Potter's Freedom by uh, Dr. James White. Um, that's, that's a good, uh, good discussion of uh, man's capabilities, God's, uh, God's enabling of uh, more capabilities to us and whatnot. But yeah, either way, <laughs> I'll, I'll move on from that. Um, and then uh, there was one last thing here that I wrote down. Um, and I can't remember if this had anything to do with, uh, with what, was, what was being discussed by John MacArthur, but it was something that came up. And it's kind of, we've kind of touched on it all along. Um, throughout the throughout this whole you know two hours now um, or close to two hours now, um, un- understand that that the world will think that we are crazy. We're, we're, yeah. They're going to look at us and go, "Man, you guys are you guys are nuts." You got, and they'll they'll even come up with other ways of saying that you're nuts. 
they'll call us different names that we've been using, you know, transphobic, homophobic. Yeah, exactly. I said, well, yes. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. They'll, they'll call you a moron. Uh, whatever the case may be, they're, they're 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 going to think we're nuts. From and from a worldly perspective, we are. I mean, that, that's that's the thing that that I think also should be known because you shouldn't look at them and go, "Oh, you guys are just being jerks." You should look at them with pity and go, "You need to you need to hear the gospel." Because from a worldly perspective, it looks completely and utterly insane. Um, I think we've, we've discussed this earlier um, in, in previous shows, that without the Holy Spirit, the things of the, the, things of the Spirit cannot be interpreted properly. So you, you should look at them and go, well, hey, they're calling us crazy. Hey, they're calling us transphobic, Islamophobic, all these things. Look at them with pity. Go, you need the gospel. Um, but uh, uh, it is uh, – let's see here. Let me see. Because I also wrote this down. Um, oh, and <laughs> – Another thing that I wrote down here, and, and, and hopefully you got this from me saying they need to hear the gospel. It is also not us who does the savings or the, or the regeneration. We, we don't do that. And I'm so glad, so glad that it's not up to me to do anything other than to share the gospel. Because if I, if it, if, if it were my responsibility to every single time anyone came across my path to, live, to, to save them, if I had to save people, I would have failed so many times and will, would have failed in the future if that was my responsibility. I'm so glad that it's, it's God's work and not mine. All I have to do is follow what the Bible tells me to do and go preach the gospel to every nation. That's all that I have to do. I don't have to save a single person because God, that's God's work. <laughs> So that was, that was pretty much the last thing I wrote down, and I figured that was a good thing for me to uh, to end on. But if you have anything else to say, it looks like we've got about a minute left. <laughs> um, no, I think that was good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we went through a lot too. Mm-hmm. So I guess um, say that um, read your Bible. <laughs> yes, God. as we always say at the end, read your Bible more. <laughs> Yeah, learn it and read it and trust God. And um, thanks for uh, coming on today. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, thanks for having like, me. There's lots of times when I don't feel like doing the show, like because I feel like oh, there's not that many people who listen. But then it's like mm-hmm. uh, it, I know at least me or you at the same time, or me while I'm doing the show, it's it's still. Um, still good to still edifying to do and um maybe absolutely we'll be the only um uh, listeners but um that's uh i think it's worth it <laughs> and, yeah, absolutely. Um, i mean e- even if even if just one person you know were to listen to you know the, the, the ranting ra- rambling that <laughs> that i had or the or, or the things that you said and, and, and understand something, uh, you know, more about who God is, if God can somehow use anything that I say, then that's yeah. good enough. You know, that's, that's, that's wonderful. Because I think, that, like, like we said, I think, uh, in a, on a previous show, I think this can also be for us. You know, as John MacArthur also mentioned in one of his yeah. messages, where it's like, you know, it's, it's not just for you know, the people that were, that, who may or may not listen to us, you know, as the case may be, um, it can be for us as well. You know, for me, 
to sit down and, and hear a message from John MacArthur and really think about it, examine it, apply it to things in my life and, and how society is out there. I think that's, that's an important thing because I might be able to use that in the future to be able to share the gospel in a better way to someone, become a better tool for God to use to bring someone else to salvation. Yeah, it's uh, uh, good to uh, work your uh, theological muscles. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> <So> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, thanks for uh, joining me this week. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to do is go out with Yancey and friends like we do with the VLBLE. So I say until next time, bye for now. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.